0: Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-host, Bob Schaefer, and this is Touch em All. Episode 260 on the network, uh, reaching 73 countries right now, 43,000-plus subscribers, grassroots all the way to MLB front offices, just trying to build a better baseball IQ out there, and this show definitely <coughs> does that. But Bob, welcome back to your show.
1: Thank you. It was good to be
0: back. So we got some questions from the audience. Uh we we uh we're going to start kind of want to say light but um uh, we'll we'll pop you off with the first one but before we get going anything out there you're watching I know you're watching baseball you got specific role in baseball right now with Washington and anything that caught your eye out there that you want to touch on
1: before we get going? Well, one thing I saw I watched a little bit of the Little League World Series not much but you know maybe a total of one game but I saw three or four or five games. But what I saw, one kid was sacrifice bun He had the best bunting technique of anybody I've ever seen in the big leagues. <laughs> he got his hands out front. He bent his knees. He you know, the ball at the top of the strike zone, he bent his knees down to hit the ball, to bunt the ball. But his technique was perfect. He was out front. He wasn't like putting the bat right in front of him. He was right out front where his eyes are behind the bat, so to speak. And it was very nice to see that. Another time, another batter bunted for a base hit left-handed hitter, and he crossed over his left foot, bunted the ball, dragged it toward first base, you know, at the second baseman, toward first base. But, again, that was some of the techniques we talked about, and uh, he did it perfectly. So I was really proud of seeing that, and, uh, you know, some good teaching going on in Little League, that's for sure. Another thing, most of the guys, the kids, knew how to slide. They used that bent leg straight-in slide, and, again, it's it's good, great technique, and it's uh, it's a uh, – and like the coaches look like they really know what to do and they really know how to teach and uh, these kids are really doing well for their skill level.
0: Yeah, I always I always enjoyed my time in little league baseball. I thought it was some of the best teaching I got and I'm glad that somebody with your eye is is liking what's going on still with little league baseball cuz as we talk about a lot of this this travel circuit Oftentimes fundamentals aren't stressed, rewarded, uh, emphasized, and same thing with winning and losing. You know, you, you you lose a game at nine, you play at one. You lose at one, you're in the bronze championship bracket the next day. So um, a lot of a lot of stuff's getting thrown by the wayside. And I'm <laughs> glad that Little League Baseball and uh, President Steve Keener has things going in the and in keep keeps going in the right direction with with what he's built. So, but then Steve Steve actually was a guest on our show way back when, so. A little shout out to him. So, for first question from the audience. Now, again, you and I were a little in shock in this because we grew up in a time where this was normal baseball, and with our group, we still do it. When you get to practice early, you you grab a bat, grab some partners, and we play. We play this game called Pepper. It's not a condiment out there, so people, young kids. Uh, but but I was I was surprised to read from the questions that a lot of people out there, youth coaches, uh, players, have no idea not just the functionality of Pepper but also how to actually set the game up and the rules of it. Um, could could you kind of go into it? So you can start with either
1: direction you want. Yeah, well, Pepper is a great game, you know, warm-up uh, routine, or sometimes, like in the minor leagues, we couldn't take batting practice because the field was wet. We go in the outfield and play Pepper, and sometimes bet extended Pepper, which means you put an outfielder position player, you know, behind the three guys in front. But the way Pepper is set up, you get three three position players – and you go, you know, running alongside each other, probably uh, 15, 10 to 15 feet apart. Um, you get a hitter, probably 20 feet away, maybe 15. And what you do, you keep uh, score. Um, you start with a guy on the left. He throws a pitch. The hitter hits a ground ball. You try to hit the guy in the middle. Then he throws a pitch and he hits the guy in the right. Every time somebody fields one properly, it's a point. So when it gets to 15 points, you switch. Now, if you make an error, you go to the back of the line. So you got three guys across. So it's A, B, C. So when it gets to 10, you can play 15 points or 10 points. When he gets to 10 or 15 points, um, A guy comes a hit and they, sli- they slide down. You know, the hitter becomes D, I mean C and then B and so forth. But uh, if a hitter hits a line driver, fly ball, it counts as two points against him. And if the fielder makes an error, he goes to the end of the line. So it's, it's very competitive, but it's really good because it's good agility for the fielders. You know, you move their feet, catch the ball out front and then throw a little, you know, toss to the hitter. And uh, it's like, it's like a miniature baseball game really. And uh, it's, it's good for, like I said, agility, um, fielding, good for your hands. And it's back control for the hitter. Now, I don't see any way playing pepper anymore because they probably don't. Now, a lot of times you'll see at a ballpark, there'll be a sign, no pepper. So I don't see any signs anymore, but the only reason they had no pepper, that was behind home plate. They didn't want them to, you know, mess up the grass and so forth there. But go out in the outfield somewhere and, you know, you can have three or four games, no, four or five games of pepper if you have to. Just don't get too close where somebody might get hit with a bad, you know, hit from another uh, game, so to speak. Yeah. But it's a good thing. Like I said, it's a miniature baseball game in itself. It's good for bat control. And you don't just punch the ball. You, you actually take a full swing, but just an easy swing. But you, you feel how you can control the head of the bat and put the ball to the guy on the left, put the ball to the guy in the middle, put the ball to the guy on the right, and then go back again. So it's it's good for – like I said, it's great for bat control. It's a good warm-up exercise, but it's a good skill-building exercise also.
0: And then as far as the the hitter goes, kind of functionality, we went over this a little bit in the other show. We're trying to, we're trying to get the uh, – Barrel awareness, uh, I guess that's the phrase, but we're trying to be able to touch that sweet spot on the ball pretty much every time, which is the what you want to do in off a tee when you go soft toss. And obviously when you're in the cage and you know, then when you're live on the field, uh, that, that sweet spot is where you want that ball. And I think it's uh, it's a great way to, to get the kids focused on that in a controlled setting. When, when you say back of the line now with the fielders, they make an air. Are there people waiting? Um, to get on, or they go to the far left and everybody bumps over them?
1: Well, you just have a game of four guys, you know, a hitter and three fielders. Sometimes, like I said, you can put a, a fielder deep, yeah. <clears throat> so you mix him in there. Also, hit one back to him. But you have, say, you have just three fielders, A, B, C, left to right. And uh, once it gets to ten, or you play fifteen consecutive catches, and uh, you, now that they rotate back, and the hitter becomes, you know, the D guy or the C guy, and you go B and A. Yeah, so you just rotate around and. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like I said, it's like uh, it's really a good bat control game because you have to know where your hands have to be to hit the ball to the guy in the left, hit the ball to the guy on the right, and the guy in the center, of course. So but it is competitive. I mean you can hit the ball, you can drill it. I mean not you hit it too hard, you can hit a line drive or fly ball and it counts two points against you. So yeah. you have to be under control, drive the ball on the ground, and just, you know, rotate left, right, center, I mean left, center, right, and then back again. So it's and what, to, and you, I mean, you can adjust it any way you want, but basically that's how it is. And you play the game, say you play the game to 10 or 12, 15, and then you rotate. The hitter now becomes a fielder, and the, the fielder in the front of the line, which is uh, the A guy, would come in and be the hitter.
0: What if What if a guy hits it out of order? What if he's supposed to go, you know, what if he hits it to A? He, he, it's supposed to go to B, but it goes back to A again. Well, that's two points against the hitter. Same as hitting
1: a line drive, then? Yeah, same or, as a line drive. So... You know, there's some skill involved, of course, but the more you do it, you'll be surprised how much better these kids can get, and they can control the bat better, and then they get in the game, and they know where the hands have to be to hit the ball the opposite guy. In other words, the left-hand hitter to the one on the left. Your hands have to be out front. You lag the head of the bat. Down the middle, your hands are probably even with the bat, and then when you pull the ball, your hands have to be you know, actually behind the contact point of the bat. So It's it's just a great drill, and it's a great teaching drill, and it's fun and it's competitive. Yeah,
0: no, I agree. I, I think we shared before the show, you know, we, we have kids coming from all over the place to, to get the practice. And so I'm a little looser than I was as a college coach with guys coming in at times. Cause you know, parents getting off of work, it's, it's not a negligence thing. It's more of just, Hey, people got a lot of stuff going on. So when kids get there early, we have pepper set up. So we get about 15 minutes of that in before we do our arm conditioning, which you've helped me evolve as well. So. Um, that, that sounds good. So encourage kind of the people out there. That's the rules of pepper. If you need further explanation, just reach out. But um, really encourage every level to do that right now. Uh, so, and you, you had touched on something, Bob. And I was again. I may have surprised you with pepper. You surprised me with this saying as you're watching baseball around that that the the rules of the game that that you're, there's a perception on on your part that people don't fully understand the rules of the game. T- touch on that.
1: There's a lot of players that know the, don't know the basic rules. Believe it or not. I mean, uh, there's some real complex rules that not everybody will know, but, uh, when I managed in the minor leagues, and you know, when I was a bench coach in the big leagues in spring training, we always went over some basic rules. And my first year in the big leagues was 1988 when they changed the balk rule. <clears throat> it used to be where the pitcher can come up, come down, just keep going. Then they changed the rule in 1988 where the pitcher had to stop. If he didn't stop, it was a balk. So I'll get into that a little bit later, but, uh, just some basic rules like, uh, you know, the batter calls timeout, steps out of box, the pitcher pitches, and the umpire calls it a strike. Well, first of all, the batter doesn't call time. He asks for timeout. So until the umpire says timeout, there's no timeout. So batter's got to know just because you call timeout doesn't mean that, you know, time is out. Normally 99% of the time you call time unless the pitch is in the middle of his delivery, the umpire is going to give you timeout. Another one is uh, when you go to first base, you beat out a ground ball, and you overrun first base. You should always turn in the direction of foul territory, turn to the right. Now, if you turn to the left, you won't be tagged out unless you make an attempt to go to second base. You might just take a dart step or, you know, jab step towards second and then retreat to first. But if you do that, the umpire can rule that you had made an attempt to go to second and it can tag you out so you're out. So get in the habit of turning toward the foul side and there's no question about you didn't make an attempt to go to second base. All right, another one is a uh, batter swings and misses at a breaking ball with, and uh, it hits him in the leg. So a guy throws a breaking ball and he swings, misses, hits him in the leg and uh, an umpire calls a strike. Well, it is a strike. If you swing, it's a strike, no matter hit you or not. Of course, the batter gets upset because he got hit, but, you know, it's a strike. Um, batter hits a ball down, the, a ground ball down the third baseline. It bounces over the base but lands in foul territory. Uh, is it a fair or foul? Well, it's a fair ball because the ball went over the base in fair territory. Now, of course, a line drive I mean, it lands fouls foul over the base, but a ground ball that bounced in front of the base, if it goes over the base, it's a fair ball. Uh, a batter ball bounced off home plate and lands three feet in front of home plate. Is it fair or foul? It's a fair ball. Home plate is where the uh, foul lines start. So anything that's on the plate is the beginning of the foul lines. So the whole plate is inside fair territory. So if it hits the plate, it goes straight out. It's a fair ball, and uh, you have to make a play on it.
0: I want to take you back a couple here. The very first one you did when you run into first base, and you you should kind of veer to the right and never to the left. We had an incident in one of our games uh, at one of the the big tournaments we were at uh, a couple weeks back where one of the opposing players – ran through first base and veered toward the left, so he veered into fair territory. And we, of course, uh, he he, great job. He he beat out a slow roller. I don't know what what was going through his brain, going through the bag, but he veered toward the fair territory. So our guy, very heads up, made the pick, looked for the safe call, saw, saw him veering, and just went over and tagged him. Umpire said safe because there was no intent to go to second base. And I thought they messed up the call. I went out. I didn't, you know, go, I just kind of walked out and asked for an explanation. They really didn't have any other than to say, we didn't think he, he, he had intent to go to second base. And I was like, did you ask him? And, uh, he's like, well, no, kind of laughing at me. It's like, well, how the heck do you know? He, he veered that way. I thought it was a black and white thing as well.
1: Um, yeah. Is that confusion by the umpire? Well, that's umpire's judgment. And, uh, yeah. sometimes the judgment's not great, but, uh, just to take the way the umpire's judgment, always turn to the right toward foul yeah. territory. So there's no question. But again, a lot of guys do turn to the left and if there's no attempt to go to second base. It might be just, like I said, one jab step. That's an attempt. So to be safe, just turn to the right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I uh, I, I, I thought there was a missed call there. But again, it's one of those things you, you ask for explanation. You try not to show anybody up and do it politely, quietly and, uh, you know, he felt confident with his answer and in a judgment call as, you know, parents coaching remember, that's exactly what it is. It's a judgment call. You're not going to change his mind. Um, but you just want explanation as to why he
1: judged it a certain way, but go, go ahead, Bob. Sorry. I interrupted. That's all right. All right. Another one is, um, you know, like when a batter, or when a runner a hit and run, runner goes, he steals second, hit or hits the ball. He slides into second base in the shortstop can't get there to get him out, so he just throws the ball and throws it wild into the stands. Well, normally, when a runner, I mean, a field throws the ball in the stands, it's where the runners are when he throws the ball, not when it goes into the stands. But in this case here, when he makes a wild throw, it starts where the runner started on the base. Even though he's on second base when the shortstop threw it, it all it just starts from for, uh, when he was started of the play, which first base. So he goes to third base, which is one plus the one that you know, it's one plus the one. But uh, if there's an intervening play, say he flips to the second baseman, guy's safe for second, then second baseman overthrows first base. Well then it's an intervening play, so the runner who slid into second base now goes gets home plate because it's two bases from where the throw was started. So it's so intervening play is different than original play when a hitter hits the ball. So that can be confusing at times, but uh like I said, a lot of times people say it's one plus one, which is wrong. It's two bases from where you were when a uh, when uh, fielder threw the ball when you released the ball into the stands or wherever out of play. Yeah. So that's one that's uh can be a little tricky but uh, you got the intervening play is what makes a difference if it's another player involved in uh you know, a double play situation. Yeah. Now the
0: rules that you're talking about as well, when you challenge a call in one of these tournaments, because they don't like to stop play, they don't want arguments. Uh, it costs a coach. I think it's, it depends on the tournament, anywhere from 100 to $300 to challenge a call in a game like that. So I actually saw that call challenged by one of my younger sons, uh, little travel coaches. This was a couple years back. And he looked to me in the crowd and I shook my head, don't challenge it. Cause he, he was on the, the defensive side of that where we were saying the, you know, the, the, the two bases. And I, I told him, don't challenge that. And he did anyway. It cost him $300 to challenge mm-hmm. all that, you know, um, I got, I apparently he had money to challenge it. Who knows? But I don't have $300 to waste on a 10 a year old travel game. So, But yeah, these are important. So coaches that are listening, write these down because it's not only good for you to teach the kids, but it's also going to save you some money if you want to challenge a call. When you say
1: challenge, you mean like protest it, protest
0: Protest a call that an umpire makes, which the silly part about it is some of these are judgment calls, as you talked about the one I I had asked. And I've never challenged a call. I just kind of go out there. I want explanation so I can explain it to the kids uh, from his perspective. But um, and more often the parents, because those are the ones that tend to get more antsy of the umpire calls. But uh yeah, judgment call is exactly what it is a judgment. You think he's gonna go back and put three hundred
1: dollars yeah. on the table and he's gonna change his mind. No, he's it's uh no. Well you can't protest the judgment. You can only protest if they mess the rules up. Oh, so days, a, if they don't have the rule right, you can protest and maybe win the protest. But yeah. very rarely you're gonna win a protest because very rarely the is gonna get together and say, well you get the rule right first and yeah. the judgment's a different story. Absolutely. <laughs> Save your money, people out there. Save your money. Right. Um, I used to get fined for getting thrown out of, thrown out of the game, but I never get fined for the <laughs> Judgment thing. But anyway, a right, pitcher steps off the rubber and throws the ball into the stands and attempted pickoff at first base. But once the pitcher steps off the rubber, he becomes a fielder. So now the runner gets third base, two bases on the overthrow. Now, if he throws from the rubber, it's only one base from the rubber. So if he doesn't step off, throws at first, throws in the stands, to run on first, we we'll go to second base now. And some people don't understand that. Sometimes the umpire doesn't see him step off, or he misses that part of it. But it's two bases because you're an infield. If you step off, only one base if you're just a pitcher.
0: Yeah, now that makes sense. Um, and, and would there be another instance where he wouldn't step off to make that play? Would be uh, is there? I know with with a lot of pick, there's different pickoffs. If he jumps off, that's the same as stepping off.
1: Well, a, you know, a lot of the jump, jump turn is kind of legal. It's not. You got to go really to step off. To me, is like go step back of the rubber and yeah. start again. And that become now you're becoming infielder. What about a lefty who's, who's
0: facing first base, got his left foot on the rubber and throws over? And yeah. Throws. Well,
1: if he stays in contact with the rubber before he starts to move to first, he's still the pitcher. Yep. Yeah. He steps back. A lot of them will step back and throw that. You know, quick. You know, non-step, quick throw to first. If yep. he steps off, throws it in the stands, there's two bases, so you go to third base. So moral of these stories is don't throw the ball in the stands pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Maybe don't throw the first base. At least you only got two now instead of 15 sometimes. Yeah. All right. Uh, another one. Uh, you got a runner first. First and second. Batter bunts and runs inside the three-foot line toward first base. A it throw hits him. Catcher comes out fields feels the ball. Hits him in the back and he's inside a three-foot line. Now, that's a tough rule because you start in fair territory, you got to run a foul territory, and the base is in fair territory. So there's a lot of you know, talk about that. But basically, the runner can't get in the way of a throw, and therefore, if the catcher hits the runner, the runner's out, and both runners have to go back to the base they started at. So good move on the catcher. Try to drill the guy if you he see he's inside a line. It's the only time where that – runners penalized. I mean, you can go inside line from first to second, uh, from second to third. A lot of times, good good outf- good runners going from second to third, the ball's like in center field or left center to kind of veer out. So to get in the line of that throw going to third base, if they get hit, of course, they're going to be safe and maybe take an extra base if so it goes into foul, foul territory. But anyway, that's the rule. Um, any part of your body is in foul in fair territory and you get hit, then you're you're out. Runners go back to where they started from. Now, that starts a lot of arguments for sure, but that's how it is.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, you know, we, we often talk about that with the double play in, in, at second base. with that turn happen if guys don't go down? I know people probably are you know thinking, hey, we're not trying to hurt anybody, but we're taught as a second baseman, turn a double play. If that guy doesn't go down, you pick a spot in the middle of the helmet and you throw it there, he'll yeah. go down. Same yeah. with that guy running the first base. You, you know, he, you you have certain rights as a player in terms of your your area. So, yeah, it's um, something to put in the put in the back of the mind of your catcher. My son's listening right now. He just kind of nodded his head because he's heard that before. So, um, that'll be in his head tonight because we're working on bunting tonight. Um, so he'll he'll get a lot of work from behind the plate coming out and seeing if guys are in that three foot inside uh, yeah. base path.
1: <laughs> it is tough for the runner. I mean, he has to be really conscious of where he's running because, like I said, most of the time you start in fair territory all the time for that matter and you got to go to fair territory but you got to go foul territory to get there yeah so it's kind of you know kind of a catch-22 but that's the rule
0: yeah i used to do that too i anytime i was bunting and i felt like it wasn't out far enough i i got myself as far over to the left side of that line as i could um to deter never got drilled in the back though thank god because i didn't have much to much cushion back there to take it but uh certainly gets in the head of the thrower. They've got to get inside that diamond a little bit more. And see, maybe you're safe. What, what other
1: what other rules did you yeah, see? To me, to me, in that rule, that only should, should pertain to someone throwing the ball like alongside the line. I've seen a call, and I thought was not right, where third baseman fielded the ball, threw the ball inside the line, and hit the runner, and they called the runner out. I mean, to oh. me, that's a bad throw. The runner yeah. had nothing to do with the guy making a bad throw. So that, that, it, that should not be interference. That should just be a bad throw and whatever happens, happens. Yes, yeah, so that was more of him throwing it up the line. Right, right. So he shouldn't be called in that situation. All right, another one is the four-out rules. Now, I'll tell you what happened. I'm playing. I'm coaching Giants. I mean, we're playing with LA. We're playing the Giants, right? So we got second and third. One out, we got the contact play on. So the batter hits a one-hopper back to the pitcher who spins and throws to second base to get the runner second. In the meantime, the runner on third, which is Andre Ethier, he took off on contact. He just kept going, he scored. They threw the second. They got the runner at second, a little bit of rundown, they tagged him out for the third out. It was it was a line drive, it was a one hopper back to the pitcher. He threw the second. Now, wait a minute, no, it was a, no, I'm sorry. It was a line drive back to the pitcher. Okay? So that's the second out. He turned and threw the ball to the shortstop. We then tagged the runner out. Took him a little while to do it, but he did. But in the meantime, he took off thinking it was a ground ball. He told me later, he said, I thought it bounced. He said, well, no, it didn't bounce, but I'm glad you kept going. He ran home, so he scored. The second out was a line drive to the pitcher. The third out was uh, throw to shortstop, and uh, he tagged him out for the third out. Now, they never – that's where you have to uh, appeal third base with a guy that didn't tag up. Now, once they left the field – I told Joe, I said, Joe, that run counts. He said, what do you mean? Is that a four out rule? He said, oh, yeah. So he goes out to the umpires, and sure enough, they said, that's right. So once, once it, that, you know, your infielders leave the field, they can't go back and appeal. So once I saw him leave, that's when I said, Joe, that run counts. And he gave me credit for that. But I, one thing is, is, when I managed and coached, I always knew the rules. And that was one rule that you never see happen too often, but it does happen. So anyway, you know, Bob Melvin's managing uh, the other team. And uh, he went out and, you know, he wanted to protest and everything. And it just, you know, it's not a protestable thing because it's the right call. So, again, the infield is, that's where you got to get the fourth out. First of all, I don't know why he didn't think about throwing a third to start with, but he was spun around when he caught it. He was kind of like facing second base. So that's when he threw right to the shortstop for thinking the third out. But I asked Heath here later, I said, Heath, why did you run? He said, I thought it bounced first. (laughs) And it was a line drive. But yeah. that's where you have to appeal before you leave the field. So so with, with Ethier, he when
0: the ball's hit in the air on the line, you advance at your own risk because yeah. he advanced at his own risk, even though he made a base running mistake. He scored before the tag was made for the third out. Right. Even though he should have been out, they never they, – so the right play would have been to bring the ball back or they should have just thrown at the third right. to get the fourth out. That's that, see, that's one I didn't know.
1: Yeah, well, if he if he just threw the third and got out, just tagged the base, you'd be out for the third out. No, no score, of course. Yeah. But the fact that he crossed home plate and they didn't appeal third, he becomes safe now, unless they go back for the fourth out and you know, appeal third. But they have to do that before they leave the field. So they and would actually they off the field. With, they didn't. They didn't realize that you had to get him out. They just figured Ethiopia's run didn't score because he got the third out. Yeah. Even though it had, the third out was happening after E3 crossed home plate.
0: So even Bob Melvin didn't know the rule, or did he know it and was trying to...
1: No, nah, I don't know if he really knew it. Uh, if he didn't know, know he it, did. he wouldn't have said anything, but he, he did know it. And uh, the umpire at third base, uh can't think of his name now, but he's a really good umpire. and He ran down from third, because a younger umpire behind home plate, he ran down to tell a guy at home plate, because he told me this later on, he said, that run counts, because he didn't want them to think Joe Torre went out there and talked to him and have it run count. Oh, gotcha. He was right, so... Uh, he helped that young guy. I mean, maybe he, he did know, maybe he didn't know, but he helped the young guy, you know, get it right and make sure he had it right. And not look like he got intimidated by Joe Torrey. No, that's great. Umpiring right there. That's, uh, yeah. and again, that's a rule that I
0: was not aware of um, either, but it makes sense in terms of the whole rundown thing. But I, I would have not have thought on the, the line drive that you had to the caught line driver fly ball
1: that you got to appeal. Uh, Charlie, uh, Charlie Rolliford was the umpire and I see Charlie, when I go to Tampa He's a supervisor of umpires now. And when I first saw him like three or four years ago, he said, Shake, remember that call? Remember that play in, in Arizona? <laughs> that's what it was in Arizona. He said, uh, What happened? Yeah, you know, I ran down. and That's how I finally ran down and talked to the younger umpire to make sure that he didn't get intimidated or whatever. But uh, so anyway, it was uh, a strange play. Uh, e tier, glad he screwed up because he got a run. It actually, it a big run in that, part, you know, that part of the game, also. So we were fortunate. Had he run the bases properly, he wouldn't have scored that run. Exactly. He would have got back, you know, tried to get back so we wouldn't get doubled off.
0: Yeah. Well, this is a disclaimer to young kids out there. Don't try that at home. Please run the bases properly. But just in this case, know the four-out rule because it yeah. uh, could win you a game down there. What? what, what I'd like that one. I, that's one I didn't know. Um, what, what other rules you got?
1: Uh, and we cap them out. You know, runners and rundown between first and second. Okay, uh after throwing the ball to the shortstop, the first baseman makes contact with the runner who was trying to get back to first base. But once you release the ball, the runner hits you, that's obstruction. In other words, you unless you're in the act of feeling a ball or have the ball and you make contact with the runner, that's obstruction and a runner gets the base he was going to. Even though he's going back to first there, he still gets second base. So that's that's what you call obstruction by the first baseman. Okay. Yeah, and that's
0: Defensive players got to have that awareness because, like we were talking about, everybody's got their own lanes here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. Even though he was re- retreating, he still gets the the advanced base. Well, what's another one? I'm learning stuff here t- today, too. All
1: right, the infield fly rule. Like everybody knows that. It's, it would run us on first and second, less than two outs. Right, you know, base loader which the same as first and second, too. All right, it's any fly ball that's fair or pop up that's easily handled by an infielder. It can be in the outfield. The infielder goes back and turns around to face the inf- infield. So he's like under it, under, has the a, has a ball under control. Once it's up in the air, the umpire signals infield fly rule, which means that the hitter is automatically out. The runners, they can advance at their own risk. But the thing is, it doesn't matter. Now, The purpose of the infield fly rule is that sort of, if the ball with two guys on, if they didn't have the infield fly rule, the fielder could let the ball drop, throw to third, throw to second, you get a double play out of it. So it protects the runners by having an infield fly rule. Now, the runners can go at their own risk if they want to try to advance, which is not very smart. But I'll guarantee you, if the infield fly rule is called, and especially in a lower-level baseball, if the infielders let the ball drop, the runners will take off because they don't realize that it's not a force now. Right. So they'd take off, and then you can get them in a rundown and maybe get a cheap out of it. So you got two Ls, double play again, because inf- uh, hitter's out from the pop-up infield fly rule, and the runner thinks he can make the next base because he thinks he has to go to the next base because the ball dropped. And you can trick it. Guy doesn't know what's going on. So that's why you should know what the infield fly rule is. I like that. That's uh, We actually had that happen to us from a base
0: running standpoint where our base runners were – alert to it the other team did not do it intentionally they just they just uh dropped the ball it was a a routine play and and our guys stayed disciplined and and stayed where they were at and uh they they ended up uh throwing it around and we ended up taking an extra base just because we were patient and not uh running like you said like where it gets dropped and they just take off because they think it's a it's a it's a force potential force situation because the, the infield thought it was a force situation. They dropped it. it was a second base pop up. Right. just muffed it. Um, you know, rain, a little rainy out, slipped out of his hands. Batter was out, and then he took it and whipped it to to uh, out of panic to where his shortstop should have been covering second base, um, and ended up in left center. And our guys ended up advancing just out of patience uh, in the situation. So. But yeah, those are that's a good one. I'm I'm writing that one down. We may have to
1: implement that today. as a tricky infield fly. Well, another one too is that when I was the infield coach, way where I went, we used to talk about this, exchange runners. Okay, say so you got Ricky Henderson on our first base. Next he hit, here's a pop up around second base. So shortstop's underneath it. Ricky Henderson's going back. You know, he's, he's going back. You know, so you get double off. Shortstop lets the ball drop. It flips it to the second baseman. So now Ricky Henderson is out of second, and the batter runner is on first. Now, we used to practice. I used to hit pop-ups. The practices, even in Kansas City, we had AstroTurf. I'd hit pop-ups, and I used to have a sign, like, uh, you know, cross my two fingers, exchange runners, if you had a pop-up. So I could never get anybody to do it. They're all scared the ball's going to bounce away from them. But I hit like 100 pop-ups over the course of three, four years, and none of them would bounce away. Just get behind it. look like you are going to catch it then pick it up on a bounce and flip it to the shortstop or the second baseman and get the force out. And really, it's a great play. I saw somebody do it uh, a couple of years ago in the big leagues. It's a great play. Just exchange runners, get the fast guy off the base, get the slow guy on the base, and nothing bad going to happen. And really, you think about it, it's going to take probably three seconds to get the ball to the second baseman shortstop because once the infielder, I mean, the runner on first sees it drop, it's going to take them a while to you know, reload and go towards second base. Because he has to go now. If he hit the if it hits your glove first, he's automatically out. Because that you can't do that. You got to let the ball hit the ground first, and then you can flip it to the other infielder for the force out. That's called exchange runners. I think it's a great play with a, you know speed demon on first, a big base stealer. I just never seen it done because no one's everyone's afraid that's going to bounce away from. Him. But like I said, he hit over 100 fly balls, pop ups, and every time, oh yeah yeah, we'll do that. Once the game starts, I give him a sign and they chicken out. So. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't, it's not that often that happens but when it does you take that good base runner off first that's a big thing so the, the subtlety of it is if it, if it hits your glove the force
0: out can't happen but if you just let it drop clean you can
1: yeah well if you hit your glove the you know, umpire knows you're trying to drop it intentionally so he calls the batter out and the is safe of course there's no there's no force out or anything yeah no one that's- another one that uh is one of my favorite pet peeve ones but in 1988, like I said, they changed the balk rule, where you had to stop. Now it had to be like two or three balks called every game until the pitcher get used to that, because they used to just come up, boom, come down, spread their hands, and go. But now they had to stop. So every time he stopped, it didn't stop, the umpire called a balk. Now in a balk, it's like a free pitch for the hitter. So anytime the umpire calls a balk and a pitcher delivers a the pitch, the hitter should swing. Nothing bad can happen. But the thing about the balk. is is, uh, everybody thinks that you have a choice. You don't have a choice. If you swing and hit the ball, if you reach first base or better, and every runner reaches the next base, it's not a balk. It's just the ball's in play. Uh, Where it comes into fact there is like uh, a 3-2 count. All right, 3-2, and bases are loaded. He He doesn't stop. Umpire calls balk. It's ball four. So it's not a balk now. It's a ball four because you go to first, first guy goes second. All, they all uh, advance the base. So that's not a balk. Now, if it's first and third, same thing, 3-2. Pitch doesn't stop. no um, calls balk. But now it is a balk because the ball four would not advance the guy from the third to home because there's no one on second. So now it's a balk and it's a an no pitch. So the hitter's still up, 3-2 count. You know, run around, uh, would well, run on third scores on a balk and got in the first goes second, so that's what it is. And I, you know, when I was when that happened, when those rules came into effect, I talked to a couple umpires, they gave me this case book which gives all situations. I mean, rule book tells you a rule, but this case book in the sports, uh, sporting news news, just put out a book called Naughty Problems of Baseball. I'm sure you read it. It's all like situations and rules. In you know situation like that, you know, man at first, blah blah, this happens, that happens. So I read all those balk rules, and it was amazing how many umpires didn't know that. Because we had a situation in Kansas City where George Brett was up, and uh, they called a balk. It was a three and two, two outs, man at basically load, He called a balk, so George stayed up there. It shouldn't have been a balk; it should have been ball four to George. But we didn't say anything because we wanted George up there with second and third rather than, you know have a, have George go to first and so forth. So it was like knowing the rules can really help you in a lot of ways. I mean, I think 95% of the umpires know all the rules, but there are a few umpires that just they have brain cramp or something, but they just uh, they don't see that what really happened. What was the name of the book again, the Sporting News book? Naughty Problems of Baseball. I used to read it all the time. Uh, I don't know if they still put it out or not. I don't even know if the Sporting News is still out, but – it was a great book, a little little smaller book. and had every every situation you could think of. And that's where you really learn the rules. And reading the rule book can be complicated sometimes, but if you get the naughty problems of baseball, I'm sure there's somewhere you can find it. Now the rules have changed a lot since I last coached in two thousand ten. But uh, the basic rules are still the same. But as far as somebody's, you know, the contact you know, get making contact at second base, I don't fully understand that now because 'cause I'm not really involved, but you know a play at home plate where you got to give the guy a lane um you know some of these rules are not good for baseball, but they are the rules <laughs> yeah
0: in fact, they had a double protest the other day because I think it was a Yankee game. Yeah. there was a play at the plate, and they didn't think he tagged him so um they thought they thought he tagged him they called him safe and then when they reviewed it, he had tagged him, so they called him out, and then Aaron Boone protested because he felt he wanted to check to see if the catcher was in the lane yes. Yeah. Blocking it, and they ruled against him. So it was like a, it was a a call that got overturned, and then they they uh, tried to challenge that call to get the the overturned call overturned. So it was a different different game today with all the replay stuff, without a doubt. Yeah. But um. But what else? Jeez, these are good, I, and I'm going to take a look
1: at that book and see if it's still available. And if it is, I'm going to make sure I get it because I, yeah, I like be it somewhere. Should be out there somewhere. I mean, it's. It's probably outdated now, of course, because the rules have changed. But a lot of them are still the same. Yeah,
0: but if any, any of our audience has access to that, please uh, DM me on Facebook or and uh, just send me the link. I'd love to get that. So
1: yeah, what so else? Sporting, sporting News good Naughty problems of baseball and what is Sporting News? Okay, that's about yeah. all I have right now, unless you have some.
0: No, those. Gosh, you hit some obscure ones. The four out one is my favorite, and I like that exchange runners. I love that strategy. Yeah. I think those little things can. Uh, sometimes help a team win a game over the course of a, even if it's one game, it's certainly worth it. And you shouldn't, you're right. The, the message sent audiences, know the rules, especially if you're coaching kids. If you know all the rules, you got a better chance chance of, you know, obviously putting your team in a position to have the most success they can. But also, um, you know, you're out there educating. I don't care if it's eight-year-olds or 18-year-olds or college kids or pro kids. They always have to be educated on the rules of the game because when they, when they know them, they you know they think they can just cut loose and play a little bit better. So well you you had mentioned we talked a little bit about the circus of baseball right here you're seeing some things out there that um make baseball resemble that of the the greatest show on earth there and then we're talking about the big top, the tent, the elephants, the ringmaster, hmm. the the music and the the circus there. So what what are some things that are kind of
1: irking you a little bit that make you think it's a circus? Right, before I get into that, I just want to say about the rules. You know, I did When I was bench coach in the big leagues, I did that every year. And Brad Ausmus was really, really into it. He said, a lot of guys didn't know the rules, didn't know some of these rules. But Brad was like, uh, he was really enthused about it. And when he became a manager, he said, send me those rules that you said and everything. But, I mean, it's something like that. And it's something that can't assume anybody knows anything. And uh, it was good. But, again, back to the, what you just said now, you know, you're talking about the little league uh, women's sport game with the Phillies and the nationals. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's become a circus in some ways. I mean, I think it was good for the kids. I mean, one guy here with a pencil bat looked like a pencil. Another guy had a crayon, looked like a crayon. Uh, I guess that's fine and good, but I guess I'm old school. And, uh, you know, to me, you can't sacrifice the, you know, integrity of the game. And, uh, it's, it's not, it's not a show. It's a baseball game. And, uh, I know the kids were into it. They were sitting with their teammates, and uh, it was very great atmosphere. I know the big league players liked it a whole lot just by interacting with those young kids, and it was a throw for the young kids, of course. And, it would, you know, of course it would be for anybody to see it. But, you know, they all, the big leagues were great, the way they you know, dealt with the players or, you know, interact with the young kids and everything. And it was good. But I just think some of the stuff gets out of hand. Uh, you know, some of the appearances of some of these players are just out of hand. So I respect the Yankees. I mean, that's where I started my career in the professional baseball. You had a haircut, you had to wear the uniform right, and so forth. And they still, you know, enforce those rules. And you know, you can enforce the rule if you want, but some people don't think it's a big deal. But I think it's a big deal and looks sloppy. And some of them look really sloppy. But again, I'm old, old school, and uh, I guess it's the new era and everything, which is fine. But there should be some kind of a uniformity and look like a baseball player, not like some clown on the street. Well, it's called a uniform. So having a uniform, have uniformity
0: is not that far of a stretch, I think, or a request. When you say wear the uniform the right way, and you can even touch on the Yankees, how they do it, talk to that a little bit. Because we we have those rules. I know you, you and I talk off the air, and um, I'm old-fashioned as well in that regard, where I want the uniform worn a certain way, I, I, the eye black, if you're going to do it one stripe underneath, make it black, not pink or orange or... No stripes on the face, you know, so talk to some of the things that I guess is the used to be, I don't know if it still is, the Yankee way.
1: Well, when I managed, I was 1980, my first year, but, uh, you know, you had to blouse your pants, in other words, fold them under. You had stirrups with the sanitary socks underneath, so, you know, you had your blue sock and your white sanitaries, and you you couldn't put them over your knees. You had them underneath, you tuck them, so there's a little blouse there, and, of course, you had to get a haircut. You had to be clean shaven. And uh, you used to have to look neat and professional. Now they still enforce the haircut rule, uh, enforce the uh, facial hair rule. Uh, the uniforms aren't bad, but some guys wear these uniforms. are so baggy. I mean, I noticed the other day when, when a player said the bottom of his uniform tucked underneath his back spike. Yeah. It was supposed to be cool. I mean, I don't know how that's cool, but to me, the stirrups still was the best. There's still a few players in baseball wear the stirrups, which, I can understand why they don't because it's not real comfortable, but at least blouse your pants a little bit, get them up a little bit. Don't get them above your knees. Uh, everybody has their own style, but there should be style within a style.
0: Yeah. I think people get so uh, – baseball has become, oh, where there's this, this desire for independence and everybody expressing their personality and it's resembling our society a little bit and people struggle – with uniformity. And I, again, I'm of the old guard a little bit with, there's a certain way to wear a uniform and it's a sense of pride when you put your uniform on. I was always one of my favorite things. I, you know, what about the cleats now? How should the cleats look? Shined, unshined, doesn't matter.
1: Well, when I was last, you know, 2010 last year I coached and you had to have uniform colors. I mean, you had blue ones or you had black ones. Most of them were black. Sometimes teams had blue ones. When I was at Oakland, we had white spikes. But everybody had to have the same color. The other day, Harper had these, uh, I don't know, he glowed in the dark. But yeah. it's all about, you know, everybody's trying to be, outdo the next guy. And to me, there's nothing wrong with being uniform. There's nothing wrong with what it used to be. You can adjust a little bit. I know it's new days and different days now. People are a little more progressive on doing certain things. But you just got to respect the game and respect the uniform. And there's no reason to change something that was enforced for many years well, you know, you can adjust it, but you can't go crazy with it. But, I mean, you can see, you know, Harper had those spikes. You could see him from, you know, 10 miles away. You know, what that was all about. You know, I'm sure he's getting a lot of money to wear them. But oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just uh, they all got different things. And some guys have, you know, like messages on them and stuff like that, which I think that's fine in some ways, but it's the big leagues. You know what I mean? Because the kids watch you, and now you to do the same thing. Next thing you know, a, a clown show. Yeah.
0: No, it's, uh, I'm with you on that. It's, it's really gotten, gotten out of hand, but I, I, I noticed the, the, the pants, I, I call them slacks, the ones that they wear them down over their shoes and, yeah. and, underneath. <laughs> and, you know, you got the knickers nowadays, which is a little bit more like the, the old fashioned where it's under the knee and it's kind of bloused over. Um, I think like Brett Gardner used to wear that when he was playing where he still wore the, the old school stirrups, I think just had them down real low. Well, some but, have them
1: over their knee now.
0: Yeah. Which I don't understand. It's kind of like, uh, I see it in the NFL where they have the pants above the knee and exposing the knee. But, um, are, are, any, I guess the Yankees are still trying to do do it their way. Although I do seek labor wearing his pants over his, his cleats nowadays.
1: Yeah. I don't know how much they enforced this uniform rule, but, uh, yeah, at least they're clean shaven. They look like baseball players.
0: Yeah. Well, to the message to the young kids out there, we've got kids 73 countries listening. If, if, if it was uh, Bob Schaefer's way on uniforms, go top to bottom for me, cleats all the way up to hat, how would it look?
1: Well, it would be uniform cleats, whatever color might be. Uh, you you know, I was—I still like the stirrups. There's still a few players that have the stirrups. I mean, Juan Pierre wore stirrups all the time, and Juan Pierre was the ultimate professional, one of the most professional players I ever coached. But I'm not saying you have to do that because the other one's more comfortable you know, just to pull up jobs. And, you know, I used to have, my last couple of years coaching, I I got to that, too, because the stirrups are a little more uncomfortable. Yeah. But, you know, the uniform's got to fit. It, it can't be baggy. It can't be real tight. It's got You know, it's got to fit. And then, you know, the shirts, of course, they all have them tucked in. But another thing is the coaches and the managers, you know, they wear sweatshirts or they wear, you know, something that's not a uniform. I mean, I just don't understand how a uniform – anybody goes on the field, third base coach, first base coach, they have to wear the uniform top. Pitcher goes out there and he looks like he come from uh, – Legion game, and the manager goes out there, looks like he just, you know, forgot where his uniform top was. And at one time, they were finding guys if they didn't have the uniform top, because some of the managers just didn't ever put it on. They just put, you know, that jacket, or not jacket, but like a pullover. So I remember, I think it was Terry Francona, they, search, you know, they searched him one day, and he said, no, I have it on, it's underneath this, this you know, sweatshirt it would be head on. But, you know, the hoodies and stuff like that, they should have the uniform top. Not the word jacket is cold. Word jacket is fine, but to have that sweatshirt, it pulls over, doesn't not tucked in. It just looks like uh, bush league.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of that, and then they, I, I call it the Bill Belichick look, and I, I admire what Bill Belichick has done with the uh, with the Patriots. But uh, the cut off sleeves on the the sweatshirt, it seems like Major League Baseball's kind of gone to that. And I see Aaron Boone wearing that a lot. It's cut offs, and it's. it's professionally cut off it's not like he did it himself with scissors but with the hoodie on back and um yeah it, cer- it certainly has taken you know it's one thing for on the field but it certainly has gone to the dugout as well
1: yeah so,
0: what, what do you think about
1: coaches being in shape
0: what's your thoughts on that
1: well I don't know if that's a major thing I mean you can't have a big fat guy out there but uh there, there's some guys are heavy you get heavy as you get older yeah I you can coach you can teach you know that's all. You want to be a little bit of shape, but same token, uh, you don't look like you know. Don't have a look like a player necessarily. Depends how old you are and everything. But uh, as long as you can teach, you're not afraid to teach. You can take charge situations. I I don't think that's a big deal. Just wear the uniform. I mean, sometimes you you blouse your shirt so you can't see your gut or something like that. Sometimes just wear a jacket. I mean, that's
0: right. Bell comes up a little higher. Yeah. I uh, now. I'm at that. I'm I'm fifty right now. Our audience knows that, and I keep in shape i still do um i started doing ultra marathons a few years back my wife says most people buy a sports car you decided to run 100 miles Uh, (laughs) good for you but um i always try to stay in shape one for that but i also can't do it like i used to but i always like to be able to demonstrate at least part of it for for the players um and i think that you know again um 25 years removed from playing but um so I think it adds, adds a little bit to credibility sometimes. And I just, that's more me than I think it has to be universal, but I agree with you guys can teach and coach. They get the respect. But, uh, my wife brought that up. We were watching a minor league game the other day and, um, and one of the coaches was, it, it was, it was hard to tell where, where the, uh, the top and bottom ended. It was, it was, he was, uh, yeah, it was uh, way, way out of shape. But, uh, again, one of my favorite basketball coaches, Rick Majeris never looked in shape and. uh, he was one of the greatest minds going, so he questioned his ability.
1: You are what you are. You have a little pride in how you look. Uh, like you said about demonstrating, that's another teaching technique. I mean, every coach can't demonstrate, but what you can do is grab a player and have him show you how to do it, or show another person how to do it, and you tell him what he's doing, and just have him demonstrate, so to speak. Because sometimes you can't get down, like you know, like in a stance, like you should get down. Because it, you know, various factors got bad knees or something like that. But coaching technique, just have a player demonstrate and you explain what he's doing, so you yeah. can teach someone else. So that's why I got my two boys there. I use them yeah. more often than not. The
0: uh, so we we we're coming up on fifty minutes, and I don't want to keep you too long. But I did we did have one more question. I'm going to restructure it just so we're, we maybe through the answer, our audience can get um, something on the bunt that they asked for. But thinking of it from an offensive standpoint. Um, One of the, the, the adages with bunting is you don't want the pitcher to field it. You don't want it back to the pitcher, but you also don't want to make it so short that the catcher's fielding it. Is there a measurement out there? or there kind of a guideline to where when you're bunting down first or third, assuming we're not pushing it past the pitcher, but more first or third, is there an, is there a distance out there that, that you kind of want the bunter to shoot for? So that way it intersects all three people's coverage areas, so to speak.
1: Well, first of all, when you're bunting a guy from first to second, 90% of the time you bunt the ball toward first base because the first baseman has to hold the runner on. Third baseman can start cheating in sooner before the ball is actually delivered. But a first baseman can't go until the ball is delivered. But we used to put, like, gloves out there when you practice, make a little circle with a glove where you can draw a circle somehow. You know, you, know uh, you don't want to draw it on a regular field. But, you know, just, just have a target. But I say you got to be off the line enough to make it – you don't want to bunt it foul, of course. You don't want to try to be too close to the line because you want to put the ball in play. But if you put it, like, I'd say 30 to 40 30 feet out, the catcher's going to get anything he can get because he's going toward the base he's going to throw to. Him. The first baseman's got to come in. Second baseman's got to cover first. So you got to keep it between the line and the pitcher's mound and short enough, far enough to get away from the catcher, but closer, you know – Close enough where the first baseman can't field it quickly and so does the first second baseman. So there's a little magic area in there. And, uh, again, if you bunt the ball at the end of the bat, you're probably going to be there. Once in a while, it might not go far enough, but most of the time it's going to be far enough. But like you said, you don't want it where the pitcher can field it and have an easy force out of second base. Or bunt it too hard where the first baseman can throw to second base, especially if he's a left-handed field in the first baseman. And you get away from the catcher now, so he can't come up and throw the ball to second base or – yeah, you know, throwing to first base, I mean, if you can get an out defensively, you, you want to get the force out, that's ideal. But at least get an out. And hitting-wise, you're not bunting for a hit. You're bunting to get the guy to second base. So keep the infielder or the pitcher or the catcher from throwing the ball to second base because a bunt's not far enough or it's too hard.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's well put. And from that, our audience that was asking about bunt coverage, you kind of get an idea that 30 feet is probably your problem area, and that's where you want to define priorities kind of like we did with the outfield who's got priority you know under the first base catcher, first baseman pitcher and the same going to, to third base but that's we we actually use little don't tell my wife this but we use little washcloths i take from the house yeah and i don't i don't put them back in the, the general population at the house i keep them out so we're not rubbing our faces with the yeah. yeah. washcloths, you know four by four three by three put it out in areas and
1: challenge the kids just just oh. make a target with anything and put maybe a little circle it, and make a circle out of target and Yeah, try to bump the ball inside that circle there or go deep and shallow and get it past the shallow one and not as far as the deep one. That's right. I like it.
0: Well, what uh, kept you close to an hour today? What do you want to leave the audience with today? Anything we forgot or that you want to get off your chest or something you're teasing for next week?
1: Well, I don't have much thought about next week yet, but uh, we'll think of something. But I just think, you know, the questions like it was good today. You have some questions from the audience and what they want to explain a little deeper. or If they have something that we didn't talk about yet. We can talk about that. And, uh, you know, the game is just a game for smart people. You don't have to be book smart, but you have to be baseball smart. The only way you can get baseball smart is concentrate, watch the game, and learn from each other, and then learn from the coaches, of course.
0: Yeah, and I, I think I'd like to touch on next week. We have, we've had some general questions about fielding, and, um, you know, we see a lot of fielding work being done right now, at least on social media where, where kids are, I mean, they're, they're on there all day long. Where it's kids working on that short hop, um, that that last hop where they're usually sometimes on their knees, and to me that is a byproduct of not getting your feet in the right position. I see them working on that nonstop. It's like it, to me it's the it's the one knee catching, it's the working up from the ground with the glove, it's the uh, exit velocity, it's the max velocity of pitchers. That to me is the. My global pandemic with fielding right now. So I know some of our audience has kind of asked me questions. I may move that to you next week and, and get your opinions on really how to develop an appropriate fielder, um,
1: some 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 ground up things to to look at. Yeah, that'd be good. I mean, I was always the infield coach. I was a shortstop, second baseman, mostly shortstop, but I had some good teachers. Uh, I have a lot of things I teach. Uh, a lot, I watch some guys where they play and I don't know who taught them or Maybe nobody or what, but that stuff's not going to work. I mean, you got to get consistent. You got like respect every ground ball, so to speak. You can't get complacent out there. But you know, Frank White was a great second baseman. He used to field the ball in a trap pop, we call it. And you know, you come in and trap pop. But Frank White was an exceptional second baseman, exceptional athlete. He had great feet. But infielders field the ball with their feet, not so much with a glove. Glove. So if you get your feet in a position, the glove is where you want it to be, you're not going to make too many errors. But Frank would feel the ball with a glove going toward the ball. Um, he used to teach that. But, you know, I don't think people can learn that. I think the thing is get it under control, feel it, we call it top of the triangle, and take the ball, you know, catch the ball. But anyway, we can talk about that next week because i got a lot of techniques on infield play and especially on throwing. Yeah, no, I think that'll be important because those are things I watch
0: now. And when you, when you take baseball to as simple as form, we talked, we started the show with Pepper where, we're just trying to get kids comfortable making contact, um, and having their hands in barrel in place when they're going, you know, if they're a lefty hitter going left side, center side, right side, and just having a kind of spatial awareness of their body fielding the same way. Um, you know, where I see, I see tons of mistakes out there where if kids philosophy was, you know, I'm just going to put the ball in play and handle the bat defensively. I'm going to catch the balls I'm supposed to catch. Um, Boy, the game would be a heck of a lot cleaner, not only on
1: the grassroots level, but in the MLB level. Yeah, you got to make the game as easy as you can. And uh, yeah, I wasn't—I was a pretty good fielder. I don't think I was the best, but I had pretty good athletic ability. And it's all about getting your getting your hands to where you want your hands, and your feet allow you to do that with good feet. And uh, it takes practice, like you said about guys on one knee. I'm dead against that. I know some great hitting uh, fielding coaches, infield guys talk about having guys on both knees feeling balls but to me that's not that's not my style it's my style to move your feet and you feel the ball yeah but we have drills that does that do that and uh, it's something that uh, you know we can talk about for sure
0: yeah let's get into that next week and I'm with you I, th- I think one of the the issues I always have with all sports is whether it's basketball baseball football you're on your feet hundred percent of the game so the focus should be on the feet you have the ball in your hands, maybe 5% of the game um, as a fielder. Uh, sometimes, I guess, a little bit more. But, you know, the feet, the feet lead the way. So it should be our political movement. Fight for our feet, right? That'll be our right. rally we do. Good well, feet Bob, good hands. <laughs> that's right. The, hand, the hands will get a lot better if you get your feet in place. Right. So, but, uh, Bob, thanks so much. Great show today. We touch them all, episode 260. Our 73 countries, thanks so much for your support out there. We'll keep bringing you great content every week like you do here with, with Bob's show. And, you know, we're hitting grassroots all the way to MLB front offices. And I think today's show um, I think it's going to help out all those levels. Uh, you know, we, we, we got pepper, we got the, the obscure rules of the game as I put it down in my notes, got a little bit of the bun defense in and, and, and some things, some, some etiquette things, um, you know, not, not to go uh, fancy on people, but the etiquette things in baseball where, you know, how you wear a uniform how you present yourself, it's it's very important. Uh, it, you know, people are going to take that impression in, and and I'm right with you on that. I think people got to have a little bit more uniform way about how they wear their uniform. So, Bob, thanks again for the great effort on the show. Hang with us for a second as we we close out here with our credits and our music here.